Hello, health investor. I'm so happy you're back with me on the Health Investment Podcast because it means you're ready to learn more tips and tricks for optimal health. As I announced in a previous episode, I'm going to start doing Q&A style episodes every so often, which I'm super excited about. I must say, I was overwhelmed by the outpouring of questions I got on Instagram prior to this first Q&A. I'm not going to be able to answer all of them in this episode, but keep the questions coming because I'll definitely get to them all eventually. To ask a question, you can just DM me on Instagram at The Health Investment, or you can email me, brooke at thehealthinvestment.com. If you follow me on Instagram already, you know I usually post one of those little question stickers before any episode, so keep an eye out for those. But never hesitate to reach out, even if I haven't explicitly asked for your questions on the gram. I'm always here for you, and I read and reply to every single direct message and email I get. You're never a bother. In today's episode, I'm going to be answering the following questions. Which fast food places and choices are healthiest? What's the difference between salt with iodine and salt without iodine? Which is best? Loved that one. When it comes to the types of milk, 2% non-fat, whole, non-dairy, which are best for kids and adults? And finally, what is my favorite cheat treat? Quickly, before I get to your questions, I want to share an Apple podcast review with you. KD Mara gave the Health Investment Podcast five stars and wrote, informative podcast with doable lifestyle hacks. Brooke is so knowledgeable and funny. Her style is light and positive, but that doesn't take away from the accurate and science-based information she provides. She offers such good advice on how to easily transform your diet into the healthiest one it can be. This is one to subscribe to and to recommend to your friends and family especially those who haven't made the switch to a real foods approach. Wow, wow, wow. What a kind, thorough review. Seriously, it's a Friday today. That made my day. Thank you so much, KD Mara. I'm so grateful for you. After releasing my 15th episode, the Health Investment Podcast had already had over 2,000 downloads, which is pretty amazing. And you've helped to make that happen through your reviews. Apple Podcasts really prioritizes the highest reviewed podcasts and it makes them more visible. So each and every review helps new listeners find my show, which means I can help more people optimize their health. As you know, that's my ultimate goal. So I really appreciate you helping me make that happen. All right. Are you ready for my first ever Q&A episode? Here we go. Hi. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Question 
Question number one, which fast food places and choices are healthiest? So this is an interesting one. And as with many things in the health and wellness realm, my response is going to be kind of nuanced. It's also sort of a two-parter. First, let's tackle the first half. Which fast food places are healthiest? For my answer to make sense, I need to define my version of healthy for you. I always prioritize foods that are refined grain-free, refined sugar-free, mostly unprocessed, organic in the case of produce, and pasture-raised or 100% grass-fed in the case of animal protein, and finally free from crappy additives like vegetable oils, preservatives, dyes, gums, and all those other weird things. So as you can imagine, when it comes to mass-producing food, meeting all of those criteria ain't cheap. So most fast food establishments don't sell items that check all of those boxes. However, there are a few popping up that are better than the rest. For example, there's Hugh Kitchen in New York City. You may have seen Hugh, it's spelled H-U, products at Whole Foods or other specialty stores. Their chocolate is a very popular product of theirs and quite delicious, I might add. Hue is short for human, and the company's founders are very quality and ingredient focused. They aim to provide products that are optimal for us humans, as their name suggests. So everything at Hue Kitchen is made without gluten, GMOs, dairy, cane or refined sugars, canola and vegetable oil, soy, hidden gums, carrageenan. I mean, the list goes on. It's truly an amazing place, but like I said, as of now, they only have one store in New York City. Then I've heard about a place called True Food Kitchen, which was founded by integrative physician Andrew Wheel. I've never eaten there, but people really rave about it. According to the website, its menu items are based on principles of the anti-inflammatory diet, which sounds really cool. But again, I've never eaten there. It seems as if the place has a mission centered on healthful menu items and ingredients, so that's awesome. But Hue Kitchen, True Food Kitchen, you know, these aren't the most ubiquitous fast casual or fast food options. That leads us into the second half of the question. Which fast food choices are healthiest? There are tons of fast casual places out there like Chipotle, Sweet Green, Pokey Spot, Shake Shack, In-N-Out. You know the ones. A lot of those places have quality standards above McDonald's or Burger King, let's say, but they're also not Hue Kitchen. So they're very middle of the road because you may be able to create a dish that's free from refined grains and refined sugar, but a lot of their sauces and dressings, etc., may still be heavily processed. And their ingredients may not be organic and they're probably not using 100% grass-fed animal protein or pastured animal protein, and there's pretty much 100% chance that they're cooking with and frying things in canola and other vegetable oils because those are super cheap. But come on, let's be real. No one is going to move through life avoiding fast food altogether, or I don't know, maybe a few people are, but they are the rare type. I'm certainly not interested in a life where I restrict myself from all fast food, and I'm assuming you're not either. So I guess what's important to think about when you're eating fast food is that you're never going to be eating the healthiest thing. 
because again, you have no idea about the quality of ingredients the place is using. And generally, they're not high quality. When the most nourishing, healthful meals are your goal, you're going to have to prep them yourself. That's just how it is. Maybe in the future, Hue Kitchens will pop up all over the country, but that's not our current reality. If you're eating fast food on the rare occasion and you're looking to make the healthiest choices when you do, I'd say your best bet is to try to avoid fried things, refined grains, and refined sugar. And really, that's not an impossible thing to do at most places these days. At a pokey place, for example, you could get a base of rice because rice is a whole grain, not a refined grain. Or you could even get cauliflower rice at some of them. And then on top, you'll add a bunch of things, but maybe you just skip the commercial dressing and ask for olive oil, salt, and pepper instead. So there you'd be avoiding refined grains, probably anything fried, and also any sugar that would come in that regular dressing. At Chipotle, you could skip the tortilla. So instead of getting a burrito, you could get a burrito bowl, and you could even skip the rice if you wanted and ask for double protein. Then on top of whichever base you chose, you could add lettuce, cheese, some type of salsa, guacamole, all that yummy stuff. At In-N-Out and Shake Shack, it's a cool thing that you can request your burger protein style, which means it's served in a lettuce wrap. So in that case, you'd be avoiding the refined grains that are in the bun. Or my new favorite at In-N-Out is their secret menu item, the Flying Dutchman which is just two slices of cheese sandwiched in between two beef patties. Then I always ask for pickles and grilled onions on top. It's delicious. What it comes down to is this. Very few fast food places are quote-unquote healthy, but there is a way to eat healthier fast food. And if it's a rarity for you, don't sweat it. What you eat most of the time matters way more than what you eat some of the time, So if you're getting McDonald's on a road trip and want chicken nuggets and fries, just go for it and move on with your life. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel feelings of shame. It's not going to make that big of a difference to have one not-so-great meal every now and then. You just want to be sure, obviously, that fast food doesn't become a habit or a regularity just because of convenience. And if there's a point in time when you have to eat more of it than you'd like, again, just make sure the choices that you make are the best given what you've got. Question number two, what's the difference between salt with iodine and salt without iodine? Which is best? This one was a really fun one for me because I also had always kind of wondered about the difference. So to the person who asked this, thank you. Now we're all going to know. I started doing a lot of research on this, and I ended up on the website of my favorite salt company, Redmond Real Salt. If you Google Redmond Real Salt Iodine, the first result that pops up will probably be their webpage that I'm about to read to you. I'll also put a link to this webpage in the show notes. Redmond's website explains this answer so well and kind of sums up everything else I found, so I'm just going to read it to you like a little story time. So here's what the page says. If you had been on a certain bridge in Sarajevo in late June of 1914, you might have been unfortunate enough to witness the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. If you were particularly savvy, you might have predicted that the assassination would change the world forever. 
It was the spark that ignited the First World War, but you probably wouldn't have guessed that it would also change salt forever. A few years later, the United States military noticed something about the young men from America's Midwest. Many of them were unfit for service because of enlarged thyroid glands. A panel established to determine the cause discovered that soil in the Midwest, and therefore much of the region's population, had become iodine deficient. Without iodine, we humans tend to develop goiter. And as any general knows, men with goiter make poor soldiers. So a group of very smart people, they write that in all caps, very smart people, set about finding ways to supplement our diet with iodine. We could have started eating more fish, seaweed, cow's milk, onion, garlic, pineapple, or artichokes, but very smart people have always thought that relying on nature is old-fashioned. Eventually, these very smart people discovered that potassium iodide could be added to table salt, and as long as they also added sugar, aka dextrose, to prevent the iodide from yellowing the salt, the population wouldn't be able to tell much difference. Unfortunately, another group of smart people has more recently examined the usefulness of iodized table salt and found it to be less effective than the very smart people had hoped. Dr. David Brownstein and others have discovered that the iodine added to salt is at best about 10% bioavailable, which means that if you consume 100 micrograms, your body will only be able to use 10 micrograms. Iodine that occurs naturally in food is almost 100% bioavailable. I know you're thinking I'm dodging the question. Here's the answer. Real salt does contain naturally occurring iodine, but not enough to satisfy the recommended daily allowance of 150 micrograms. Real salt doesn't provide the recommended daily allowance of protein either, or fat, because nature intended salt to provide our bodies with sodium chloride and trace minerals. So instead of using chemically processed unhealthy salt in order to get iodine, we like to stick with real salt and get naturally occurring iodine from other delicious sources like kelp, yogurt, eggs, strawberries, and mozzarella cheese. Yum. All right, so that was all from the Redmond Real Salt website. I told you it was a good story. I really like how they explain it so clearly. Basically, the bottom line is when you see regular old table salt that says with iodine or something like that on the front of the package, turn that over because the salt likely also has dextrose or sugar in it. Yuck, right? And table salt doesn't have real naturally occurring iodine in it. It has potassium iodide. So as explained in that little story, we do need iodine but we can get it from sources other than salts. I personally use Redmond Real Salt almost exclusively, and so do a lot of the nutrition-conscious doctors and researchers out there. You can buy it on Amazon or Thrive Market, and it's not expensive at all. Dr. James DeNicoliAntonio is one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. You can follow him also at Dr. James DeNick. He wrote an entire book about salt called The Salt Fix. I know he uses Redmond Real Salt because he writes and tweets about it all the time, but I was curious to know if he uses other types. In an interview with Wendy Myers, I'll put a link to the full interview in the show notes, 
He said, there's been numerous studies that have come out recently where they've tested 14 batches of modern day sea salts and 13 out of the 14 will contain microplastics, mainly the plastics that are used to make water bottles, which makes sense, right? So again, that's what he said on Wendy Meyer's interview. And that was interesting to me because I'd never thought about modern sea salt containing microplastics, obviously from all of the litter that's accumulated in the ocean, which is obviously terrible. So for that reason, Dr. James Antonio goes on to say that ancient sea salts are a better bet than modern sea salts. So again, Redmond real salt is a great one to look out for, and ancient sea salts seem to be better than more modern sea salts, which may contain microplastics. Good to know, right? Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Question number three. When it comes to the types of milk, 2% non-fat, whole, non-dairy, which are best for kids and adults? This is another tricky one. You guys are really trying to stump me and make me go down all these rabbit holes today. But first of all, I just want to say I don't feel comfortable speaking about what kids should or shouldn't be eating and drinking because I'm not a doctor or dietitian, and I definitely haven't read enough about proper dairy consumption for kids. So I'd recommend that you listen to this next part about some of the truths about dairy and non-dairy milk, and then ask your pediatrician. When it comes to adults, here's what I'd say about dairy. Some people tolerate dairy just fine, and some people don't, as we know which is why all of the alternative milks like cashew and almond and soy and walnut, all of those alternative milks have popped up. One thing I've noticed about these alternative milks is that many of them have preservatives and binding agents like gums and even added sugar. I tend to avoid those additives in general, so I'm pretty cautious before buying any nut milk. I think there was a wave a few years ago, I don't know exactly when, but you probably remember as well when Starbucks and Pete's and all of the chains started having soy milk or almond milk as an option. And I think a lot of us just jumped on board and thought, oh, this must be healthier because I saw it in the news and I heard my friends talking about it. I know I used to get almond milk without thinking twice because I just assumed it was healthier. But then I looked at the ingredients and nutrition facts, and that's when I noticed the additives I mentioned before, like the gums and the added sugar. I mean, some of these alternative milks contain a lot of sugar, especially the unsweetened varieties. The point I'm trying to make is if you don't tolerate dairy and you still want to drink some type of milk, just be an informed consumer. Flip the carton over, take a look at the nutrition facts and ingredients labels, and then make your choice from there. 
There are a few alternative milk brands that I really like. One is called Malk. It's spelled M-A-L-K. They make an amazing unsweetened almond milk and an unsweetened cashew milk. And I also like the brands Forager and Elmhurst. But a little word of warning here, companies change their formulations all the time. So who knows if they'll still be as pure as they currently are whenever you're listening to this podcast. If you buy those brands or any brands for that matter, just be sure to read the labels for yourself. When it comes to actual dairy, if you're someone who tolerates it and you want to add milk to your coffee or to have a little bit in your granola or whatever here and there, I think the main thing to keep in mind is that full fat milk has the least amount of lactose and lactose is a type of sugar. All of the O's words, we heard about dextrose in the salt earlier, right? Dextrose, fructose, sucralose, lactose, those are all types of sugar. So the less fat in any milk, the more sugar. That's just a good kind of rule of thumb to keep in mind. Therefore, whenever I'm going to have milk from cows, so real dairy, I opt for heavy cream or whole milk over the lower fat varieties because ultimately I'm always working to keep my sugar consumption as low as possible. All right, the final question. What is my favorite cheat treat? Cheat is in quotation marks. So I want to start by saying I actually never view anything I eat as cheating because I think the word cheating comes from this mindset of restriction And the more I restrict anything, the more I crave it and the more I want it. Think of a little kid. You tell them you can't have something, and then all the kid wants is that thing they were told they can't have. As adults, we're very similar to that. Earlier, I mentioned that what you eat most of the time matters a lot more than what you eat some of the time. So that's another reason why I don't think of the word cheat anymore when it comes to food. I don't attach feelings of shame or guilt to food because I really believe that the more power you give to any food, the more power it's going to have over you. And your stress level and your mindset matter just as much as the foods you're putting in your body. I think we often focus on diet and fitness because that's kind of what diet culture and the fitness industry have told us to do, but stress and mindset matter so much. So if you're super stressed about cheating, you're likely to spiral into a negative mindset of failure and, again, feel shame and guilt, which will probably stress you out even more, and that's not good. So all of that being said, I do think it's important to prioritize nourishing, wholesome, satiating foods most of the time because those are the foods that are going to make you feel awesome. They're going to give you energy. They're going to help your digestion. They're going to help you lose any extra weight you want to lose. They're going to make your skin look clear and bright. I mean, real nourishing foods are where it's at. The things I love to eat every now and then that aren't the most nutritious, but again, they're not cheat foods because no foods are cheating. My top three would probably be nachos, french fries, and chocolate chip cookies. And notice I'm not even saying those are my three weaknesses because, again, the word weakness assumes that I'm weak or wrong for enjoying those amazing, delicious things. And I refuse to live my life thinking that eating nachos every now and then makes me weak because it doesn't. So I won't say they're my weaknesses, but I will say that if I see a chocolate chip cookie in a cafe, I'm probably going to get it. 
Or if there are amazing looking fries at a restaurant, I'm probably going to share some with the table. I adore these three foods. Nachos, I could pretty much eat an entire plate of nachos any day, any time, all on my own because they're the absolute best. If you don't agree with me, we can't be friends. No, just kidding. I'll just eat all the nachos and you can eat something else. Anyway, that wraps up this first Q&A. Thank you for sending in your questions. I can't wait to answer more in the future and I'll catch you next week. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.